Welcome once again to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. It's available free to members of the bar as well as the public. We feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about NBA members, and helpful practical information about the law. I'm your host, Jordan Rich. Today's subject, the justice gap in Massachusetts, and programs designed to bridge that gap. Organizations providing quality legal representation to people struggling economically. The justice gap is an ongoing dilemma, and here to help us sort through it, two individuals who, along with their nonprofit organizations, are doing a lot to help. Meet attorney Damian Turco, representing Lawyers for Affordable Justice, and attorney Len Zandro, executive director of the Justice Bridge Legal Center in conjunction with UMass Law. This is a very important topic, one that I've been waiting to talk with our guests about for quite some time, the justice gap. And joining me are our two guests, as I introduced them in the open, who are very much involved. We'll give websites and directions as to how you can find out more. But uh, Len and Damien, thank you very much for spending a little time with me today. Great pleasure. Thanks for having us. I guess I'll start with the guy on my right, and that's Len, to uh, talk a little bit about what that term actually means, justice gap and how important it is to focus on it now because, hey, it might have been talked about three years ago, five years ago. Now is now. We have a problem on our hands. We do, Jordan. Uh, I've been practicing law for about 35 years. And when I first started out, there were, were the pro se representation in our courts, people representing themselves. Those numbers were 60 to 70 percent, mm-hmm. which was profound and uh, just really unacceptable. But now we're, it's 80 to 90 percent in some of our courts. And so that's the gap. That's folks who are going through life-changing legal issues, really significant issues in their lives, and they don't have somebody to shepherd them through these kinds of problems. And and that leads to a variety of issues in the system. It clogs the system. It causes delay. It also causes hardship and, and emotional distress. I mean, there are a lot of sidebar issues that we'll talk about here that are part of this problem? It, it, well, it absolutely does. I, it, it, and I think to try to address that and, and improve uh, the representation for folks, it's, uh, it would help the courts because it's just uh, it's almost chaotic in the courts uh, when you know, you're, you're just managing these cases and people don't know when they're representing themselves how to frame their legal issues. They, they uh, don't know the, the most relevant facts to present. And so there's really a need for lawyers, uh, you know, to do this. It's it's not a self-help. It's a, right. a type of issue. Damien, in the movies, you occasionally see the valiant hero get up and defend himself in front of a court of law. That's the movies. Right. Let's talk about real life. And you've been at this for quite some time, trying to help and offer your services and volunteer and so forth. What do you see as this problem? Just elucidate, if you will, on what Len had to say. No, I agree. I mean, I've practiced law for 10 years and I've been doing this sort of work, uh, this sort of outreach and volunteer work in the community for about that point in time. I've been involved in the incubator that we'll talk about today for a shorter period of time. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's not like the movies. People don't go and, you know, memorize the rules of evidence. They don't necessarily learn the law. A lot of people will come to us as attorneys and feel that, you know, kind of a, a moral argument should win in court. And that they should prevail. And, you know, I think a lot of people end up there unrepresented and and they don't understand, you know, that they're losing on a procedural level or they don't understand the law. You know, our system is built on the idea that everyone will have access to justice. It's it's built on the idea that everyone should be on equal playing field 
But without lawyers, I mean, they're really, they're really not. It's a very, very intricate playing field to, to negotiate, whether you're trying to deal with real estate or a divorce or a criminal matter. And boy, I don't know about anybody else, but I want to have somebody with me when I'm going right. through the process. So let's, can we talk numbers? That, do we know, you mentioned some of the statistics, the, uh, the percentages of people self-defending and so forth, but do we have numbers beyond statistics? Do we know how many cases are sort of involved in this gap at the moment? In terms of the raw numbers, I uh, frankly, I don't. Uh, but, you know, in terms of percentages, uh, I'm just aware on the South Coast where we have one of our incubator programs in the Fall River Housing Court, it's it's now 92% of the people representing themselves. And so that includes the landlords as well as the tenants. It's yeah. it's it's the vast majority of folks. And it's, uh, it, it's just very difficult because apart from the knowledge that lawyers bring, the professionalism that lawyers bring to these cases – there's the emotional involvement. People, uh, it's, it's very difficult for them to, to separate uh, themselves from the particular matters and, right. and understand the best way to proceed. And I know judges are definitely involved in trying to help mitigate through this issue because they are the ones dealing with issues every day and they want to see their courts move more efficiently. Isn't yeah, that right? and I think that can be frustrating from the judge perspective because you have folks in front of you that might have legal rights, but they're, they're losing out because they don't know right. what they are. They don't know how to argue them. Um, and the statistics that Lynn had mentioned before, those are consistent with the issues nationally as well. Landlord-tenant law, you know, for evictions, tenants, 99% of tenants are unrepresented. Mm. And in the probate and family court where divorce and custody cases occur, it's about 80% of the people are unrepresented. So from the judicial perspective, the vast majority of the people that they see before them, there are not lawyers there. And that, of course, has all kinds of implications because what happens after that particular court session could be four more, five more, six more events triggered by the fact that you didn't have a lawyer to help you through. Right. Might be, it might have been something more simple to file and you didn't get it done. Let's talk a little bit about your organizations that you both represent. We'll start with you, Len. Justice Bridge. It's justice-bridge.org on the web. And we've mentioned the word incubator on more than one occasion. So we should define what that means because it's a pretty awesome program. Well, it is. It's been a great privilege for me to be uh, involved in it. I, I worked as an unpaid volunteer for two years, actually, uh, getting this uh, this uh, program going. And it's if I had to describe it in one word, I think I'd say it's a laboratory. It's a, it's a vehicle for, for testing uh, the, the best way to, to match startup attorneys with, uh, with modest means clients. And how do we provide efficiencies? How do we provide uh, uh, meaningful, impactful representation within some very, very limited budgets? Right. And for us, uh, the key are our mentors. We have over 60 mentors in our program that have, on average, over 30 years of legal experience. And if they can't help us navigate that process, I'm not sure who possibly could. So you've got your mentors. We know we've got the people out there who need this. What's the missing link or what is the piece of the puzzle that needs help? Well, you know, I always look at it uh, metaphorically as kind of a table uh, with four legs. And so we need, uh, you know, different, uh, all, all four legs and relative equal balance for the, for the program to, uh, to thrive. Uh, at this juncture, those four, lab, those four legs would be uh, our, our uh, mentors, which are such a key part of, of being our consultants and, and guides, uh, the attorneys, uh, the work, uh, sufficient work, and some supplemental resources, some some money, because uh, 
uh, frankly, it's not a, a program that can exist uh, and, and self-perpetuate. It needs some some additional funding, like like all good nonprofits. Of do. course, we'll get to Damien in a moment, but I wanted to just follow up with one thing: uh, having UMass as the center point in terms of education and lawyers and that group of young people coming out of that program certainly must be a benefit. It's it's huge, and yep. I'm and I'm just so proud of uh, the relationship that we have with UMass because. Uh, they are the Commonwealth's only public law school, and they really take to heart the, that public interest mission uh, of theirs. And this is just one example uh, of that. I think uh, disproportionately the, the people who are attracted to UMass Law School have an interest in public service and, and tend to go into public service. And this is just one aspect is addressing uh, access to justice issues and this justice gap. The president of the Mass Bar Association, uh, in his incoming inaugural speech, talked a lot about giving back and about the role of attorneys. And the Mass Bar Association is steadfast in promoting this idea. Let me go to you, Damien, to talk sure. about the organization you represent. The website is lawyers, the number four aj.org. Put it in English. What are we talking about? Yeah, it's lawyers for affordable justice. And what that is has changed a bit over the past, you know, two years and a, and a couple of months. It was originally founded uh, as a joint venture by Boston College, Boston University, and Northeastern Schools of Law. Mm -hmm. So joint venture is funded by them. Uh, they're uh, directors of the clinical programs oversaw it. Okay. Uh, and there were mentors and advisors that were pulled together to get this thing off the ground. And so it was really exclusive to alumni from those three schools. Uh, and several have moved through as uh, attorneys. Again, they're newer attorneys, like, you know, one to three years of experience. Uh, and we leverage mentors as well. The At the conclusion of the first two years, we prepared to launch independently from the law schools. And that's what we did this past month in January 2018. Right. We launched as an independent nonprofit, uh, and which gives us more flexibility um, and also gives us the ability to recruit more attorneys, to solicit cases differently. It's really more in its infancy as compared to Justice Bridge. And I think it's kind of interesting to see two pretty different models, but still hitting uh, the same types of issues out there, the same types of clients. Right. You guys are justice, both yeah. in the same plane, but you're, you're, you're dealing with a different pool of potential attorneys. And now you're saying you right. can work with a variety of schools sure. if you need to. Well, right? uh, well, alumni, a variety of attorneys, regardless uh, right. of what schools they came right, from. Right, right. That's true. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about what issues are affected here, because we, we kind of glanced over it in people in court. You mentioned uh, housing court and things like that. We're talking about all kinds of issues here. The gap exists and people need some help. Right. Right. We each have kind of the scopes of the practice areas that we cover. So yeah. at Lawyers for Affordable Justice, we take small business cases. We take employment cases, uh, family law, criminal law, uh, immigration and landlord tenant cases. And that's the scope as of today of what we handle. That's a big load. To yeah, those, those are the and, and two of those have just been added in the past, uh, I would say, year, the family law and the criminal defense, which I think were with Justice Bridge, maybe from the beginning. Well, uh, very similar, uh, yeah. our program as well. Uh, basically, we go where the need is the greatest. And so uh, when we created the model, we, we looked at different uh, referral sources and different nonprofit uh, organizations and asked, where, where is the gap the greatest? Where are there cases that just have no natural home and that right. uh, people aren't being serviced? And uh, family law is one of those uh, key areas, and it's fairly consistently been about 40% of the work that we do. Uh, our second area would be landlord-tenant and housing matters, and then probably in equal parts, uh, consumer law, uh, employment law, immigration law, bankruptcy law. Uh, 
And then probably about 25% of the work that we do is just everything else. Uh, it's right. civil. We don't originate any criminal work um, in, in a particular you, you keep. I keep coming back to the term mentorship. It's so important in any field, but this has to give the young, less experienced lawyers who want to work with you cause for relief to know that there are some real pros backing them up to answer those questions because you're inevitably running onto the field and given the ball and told to run with it. You want to make sure you have people who can provide you with that help. That's the backbone of our program. Yeah. We have about uh, 15 uh, mentors who come in residence on uh, on a weekly basis, regular scheduled basis, and they're right there to help uh, the attorneys in our two different brick-and-mortar facilities, one in Boston, one in New Bedford. But we also have about 40-plus mentors on call that uh, many of them are retired judges, and that's uh, they just have wonderful experiences to share. You know, oftentimes it's not just the substantive areas of law that they provide guidance in. It's just how to how to navigate the system, how to deal with sometimes difficult clients or difficult opposing counsel or difficult judges uh, uh, on occasion. So it's, Not to uh, be intimidated it's, when, uh, when the case comes in. Yeah, just uh, style, just etiquette, out. all those things that make, make such a difference. Damien, uh, last year, I know it's last year already, uh, you put together a, a memo talking about some of the things you'd like to see happen. We're doing them now, right, right. now, with sure. this podcast. But you mentioned the Chief Justice Gantz Justice for All Project. Would you remind us what that was all about at the time and where that's gone, if it has? Well, that's an ongoing project, and maybe Chief Justice Gantz would speak to it better, but it's right. it's essentially there's a, uh, a national organization of chief justices that work together on a variety of projects, and one of them is like a nationwide justice for all program. And it's really an initiative uh, to see how we can get access to justice accomplished for 100% of the people that need legal help. And you know that's being looked at here in Massachusetts. So we got a grant last year Right. Uh, to fund that research here in Massachusetts and a few other states did as well. The idea is, you know, what resources can we use, you know, whether it's the private bar, whether it's legal services organizations, whether it's technology um, or, or even programs through the bar associations or in the courts themselves. Um, how can we use all these to effectively deliver the resources people need to get the legal understanding and knowledge and representation when they need it mm. across our court system. And technology is such an important issue with all fields, but it must play a big part here. For instance, you can you can now connect with someone on FaceTime or Skype and give them information almost person to person, maybe a little bit more effective than a, just an all with a phone call kind of delivery. But just one example, really, is technology now being utilized and looked at for in both cases, in both of your organization? Sure. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. We have a, a, a virtual portal that helps match the attorneys to the clients, but it also looks at the back-end administrative uh, aspects, and we try to research best practices. Are there particular techniques that work best in certain fields, family law versus housing law? How do you use the mentors in that context? How do you use interns in that context? And the idea is to not only become better incubator attorneys, and to share that data with, with what are now 63 incubators across the country, but to uh, share that with the law schools as well so that we develop a more longitudinal approach. Mm. We start teaching uh, and incorporating in the curriculum of the law schools and in the clinical programs these kinds of techniques. Uh, one of those key areas is limited scope representation. Uh, you can't do all things for all people within these very, very limited budgets. And so what are those highest impact uh, tasks that you can do in these various practice areas, and how do you best implement those? 
it's it's all about as it is in, in a lot of business these days, big data. And so right. gathering that, that type of information, we've been fortunate. We processed about 4,500 matters in three years' time in our program. And so we have a it's not an overwhelming amount of data, but it's a sufi- sufficient amount of data that you can start drawing some correlations and start learning from these and experiences. We keep referring to the younger breed of lawyers who are perfect for this kind of opportunity to learn, to give back, to participate. But it's not only them. I mean, we're talking about attorneys who have maybe years of experience who are invited, let me put it that way, mm-hmm. to step up to the plate and help out. Am I right? No, that's true. Yeah. You don't, for uh, lawyers for affordable justice, you don't necessarily have to practice within one to three years. You really need to be committed to lowering your rates uh, to meet the needs of those in the justice gap. Okay. Uh, But you certainly need to be, you have to have some level of savviness with the technology because at our organization, technology is really built into the process. It sounds similar to Justice Bridge, um, but we have a complete automation uh, from client intake to case referral to our lawyers um, to even when the cases uh, at our organization are not taken, there's automatic communications that go back to those prospective clients, explaining to them, hey, these are, these are other resources. There's no one on our panel interested in taking the case. But it's important to have this level of technology right. because when we're, if the lawyers are going to take cases in which the folks that need the help are going to pay less, you need to be efficient because our margin, our margin for error in those cases is much smaller. You can't spin your wheels or you're going to go out of business. So we don't want lawyers to waste their time working on case or looking at cases that they're not going to take. Um, and when the cases do come to the lawyers, we want it to be as efficient as possible. Well, see, that's a very important point to make to those listening now who are attorneys who are interested in helping out, doing something else, that this is not a waste of anyone's time as best as you can do it. You're whittling down the right people for the right job, right? Right. That's, that's the key. No, that's right. We want to, we in order for this to be sustainable yeah. as event as an idea we want it to be profitable for the attorneys or else they won't stick with it and then the next exactly. wave of lawyers won't want to get involved it has to meet the needs of those that need legal services within their budget but it has to be profitable for the lawyers that are doing the work and by the way there's nothing uh, I'm going to say cynical about that because whenever anyone in any field gives back uh, one of the uh, rewards is often more business in another area. So attorneys are like anybody else. I mean, they're giving back most of the time very altruistically, but there's almost always that wonderful payback. You know, you get a connection and a contact or somebody notices the work. And I'm just thinking that's probably a very good thing for for your members. Well, I I think efficiency is a key. We're all about that in in our program, Uh, you know, maximizing impact and and being very strategic in terms of identifying the best way to represent folks and uh, efficiently and and uh, and profitably uh, as possible. But I think at the same time, we need to reimagine how we practice law. And I think uh, technology is one tool, but I think we need to be proactive in in looking at uh, ways of uh, so-called preventative lawyering, uh, being involved in an earlier stage before something blows up and becomes a, a, a full-scale controversy and is being litigated in court. How do we, uh, how do we look at uh, some of the different issues that are giving rise to the legal problem? How do we become uh, lawyers as counselors as much as lawyers as advocates and, and uh, you know, pugilists in court, you know, fighters uh, in, in court? Are there ways that we can bring uh, with community lawyering other partnerships to, to play? Uh, address other issues that are um, on a more holistic basis that are giving rise to these legal problems. 
And I think that's that's a key uh, aspect of, of the approach. One last thing about that, Jordan, you, you mentioned uh, Justice for All. I've actually been on that uh, committee. And so we uh, just created a strategic plan. Uh, I wasn't as involved in that aspect of it, but they have identified four particular areas. Uh, and I think in each of those areas, one of the keys is uh, to, to develop uh, a, a, a a more um, direct approach, uh, uh, an earlier intervention. Uh, one is in the housing law context. Uh, one is in uh, the debt collection context. Bring in additional resources, people who uh, are aware of budget um, uh, needs and can uh, help uh, families uh, sort through uh, budgetary problems, uh, people who uh, will address uh, difficulties in non-payment cases uh, in in um, uh, landlord-tenant cases, mm. uh, and and I think those kinds of uh, preventative earlier intervention um, aspects can be uh, very helpful as well. Folks, folks with very modest means, and those are the groups that both of our incubators are, are serving, uh, don't have the the resources or the money for the gamesmanship of litigation. And so, how can we uh, get involved at, a, at an earlier stage? And and really uh, deliver a, a, a broader, more holistic service to them. At this point, I think it's perfectly reasonable for me to suggest you both present your wish list right now. It could be very general. I think we've sort of covered what the issues are and what some of the strategic programs are. If you were to have a, a wish list for the near future, I'll start with you, Lynn. You know, what would it be? And please address those listening from the legal community, members of the bar and beyond, what would you like to see happen? Well, I, I think right now we need more lawyers, particularly in our Boston office. And uh, we do have the ability at this juncture, uh, because of some different initiatives uh, that, 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 that we have launched, to, to bring in people outside of the UMass Law uh, family. And so we're, we're also looking to, uh, to collaborate with folks and to bring in uh, attorneys with uh, different backgrounds and different interests who uh, have a passion for serving modest means clients and are also have a sense of flexibility uh, in, in in terms of their their practice. I think one of the benefits of practice practicing in an incubator is that you can, particularly when you can draw from a large group of mentors with broad experience, you can dabble in areas that you might not otherwise do if you were just on your own. And so to to stretch yourself and to take cases. Uh, in in areas that you might not have otherwise uh, considered, um, so we're, we're looking for those kinds of uh, attorneys in our program. And one last thing, I guess I, I just wanted to uh, to make sure I, I says I wanted to thank the Mass Bar Association because they've been great supporters of our program. They've offered us free memberships. Damien was a uh, involved in uh, in that process, um, and I'm uh, very grateful. Jeff Catalano, the immediate past president, is a just a great champion of uh, access to justice, and he was involved in that access to justice uh, uh, group, that Justice for All uh, committee uh, as well, and he's been a great supporter of our program and very committed, very passionate about access to justice. And those free uh, memberships in the Bar Association that translates not only to networking opportunities, but continuing ed programs, and it's just, it helps empower our uh, attorneys. And we're all about serving access to justice, but also empowering these startup attorneys that they have viable practices doing this good work, yeah. doing well by doing good. And, and the MBA has been there for us, and I'm good. very grateful for that. Good deal. Thank you very much for 
for expressing it so well. And Damien, let me ask you the same question. Sure. I mean, you're fighting the good fight too. What could make your day brighter as we go along, go forward? Great. Thank you for asking. I mean, similar to Lennon Justice Bridge, I would say, um, you know, keeping in mind that we were, as we ended our tenure uh, in the joint venture between the three law schools, we did put um, bringing on new attorneys and finding more mentors, that those pieces were on hold for a, a period of time. So we do have a need uh, for more mentors in the practice areas that I'd mentioned earlier. Anyone who'd like to be basically on call. We don't have someone that's live as a mentor um, on, on site because we are really a virtual operation. But if you're willing to go on a list uh, or speak with some, uh, some newer lawyers when they do come across an issue, um, that would be great to just be in contact with us and we can put you on that list. Attorneys interested in taking lower end cases, uh, discounted cases, please contact us uh, as well. And we can uh, we can look at your background and see if you'd be a good fit for the organization. I think more than anything, though, is as we build our organization, we do need more cases and more referrals. And there's um, being a practicing attorney. I have had my own practice for 10 years for the entirety of my of my uh, as entirety of being licensed. Mm-hmm. And. Um, and I can say, I mean, I know what a lot of sole practitioners go through in small firms when they're when they're having consultations with prospective clients. A lot of folks, particularly in these areas, in family law and landlord tenant, um, you know, you give them a retainer amount of what you feel that you know you'll need to to represent them. And many of those folks who can't afford that will not necessarily let you know. Some will say, "I will go look into it," or "I'm going to try to pull the money together." Uh, yes. Um, I'm going to see if I can borrow it from my parents, that sort of thing. And and then as the attorney, I think it's pretty typical to say, okay, and then you let that prospective client go with the hopes that they come back to you. What would be great is if you educated, um, if we in this process we're educating the masses of attorneys to let those folks know that you can do a follow-up with them, with those prospective clients, and let them know if they can't afford the attorney, that's okay. We have other resources look into the incubators, Justice Bridge mm. and Lawyers for Affordable Justice, mm. where you can get competent representation. They have a great uh, network of mentors that back them up um, and you're going to get discounted representation. So it might be the right fit for them as opposed to going unrepresented altogether. So think about that and try to build it into your process as a practicing lawyer. When you have a prospective client that isn't circling back or is telling you straight out that they cannot afford your normal uh, retainer, uh, your normal fees, consider referring them to us. That's a big help to us. You both express it so well in in your own areas of study and expertise, but your message is clear, very clear, at least to me, and I'm sitting here with you one-on-one. And it's a very important message, and it shows the extent of uh, organization out there that's available that people just don't know about. And so good point made, uh, excellent point made by you, Damien, as well as you, Len. Let's do this before we close out. Let's remind people of the various websites, okay? And I'll let you do it first. Sure. Damien, yours is? It's lawyers4aj.org, and the four is the number four. So lawyers, the number four, aj.org. Okay. And, of course, we'll make these available on the website for Mass Bar as well, I'm sure. Len, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us uh, the uh, Justice Bridge Legal Center So it's the, the www, but yes. then justice-bridge.org. Again, I just encourage people. Uh, sometimes it's uh, it's very difficult to talk to a stranger about uh, some very confidential and personal information uh, that you need to convey a, a very difficult crisis, perhaps in uh, in your life. But uh, we try to be as compassionate and sensitive as possible in gathering that information. 
and we do our best. We, we can't guarantee that we're going to find a good match, but we do our best. Uh, is there something that we can do working within your budget? And uh, I think it's just better to uh, approach us and Lawyers for Affordable Justice sooner rather than later uh, in the process. I think too often our experience is that people uh, will we'll ask them, uh, are there any court deadlines or dates we ought to be aware of? And they'll say, uh, well, yes, actually, I've got a hearing tomorrow. And it's just <laughs> oh. we need to be prepared. Yeah. We need to uh, – uh, our, our folks are busy uh, just as uh, as they are at Lawyers for Affordable Justice. And so we need a little bit more prep time. That's, that's important. And uh, so if you can uh, you know, approach us uh, sooner rather than later, and perhaps uh, we can be that much more efficient and helpful in the process. Well, Len Zandro and Damian Turco, thank you both for taking a little time out of your busy days because I know how busy you are with your own work and helping others for uh, for joining us. And we'll get that message out loud and clear. Thank you very much. Thanks thank so much, you. Jordan. My thanks to attorneys Damian Turco and Len Zandro offering positive steps we can all take to close the justice gap. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and more. If you're a consumer and you need legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. Call 866-627-7577 or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association. We invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. I'm Jordan Rich. Thanks for listening.